You're listening to the Ship Bob Operator Series. Each week, your host, Casey Armstrong, e-com veteran, is joined by founders, operators, and insiders who are bringing along their stories and data to give you the exclusive inside scoop and tactics from those who have been there, done it, and gotten their hands dirty. You can tune in for a live recording Wednesdays. Head to operators.shipbob.com for the details. But until then, enjoy this audio replay. Welcome, everybody. It's me, Casey Armstrong, over at ShipBob. We have our operator series featuring Aurora Mornings along with Recharge, and we'll get to them in a minute. I believe this is episode three, season two. Um, so glad you guys are all joining us back. As we always kick this off, while I do the introductions, if you guys want to throw in the chat where you're calling in from, and then we'll get to, to Tom and Matt as well. As always, I am calling in from Southern California. Might be making a trip to Chicago soon, so we'll see if I'm, I'm there on a, on a Wednesday posting it there. So again, just throw in the chat where you're calling in from. It's great to see where people are. Uh, we always see a lot of uh, international people as well, so we shall see. But today, um, in this episode, we, uh, we have a brand, like I mentioned, Aurora, which looks to make everybody a morning person. I am not a morning person. Even after three kids, I am not a morning person, but we'll see. I need to uh, increase my Aurora intake. So we have Tom here, as I mentioned, and after moving to New York City to pursue a career in technology, he realized he needed a healthier way to jumpstart the mornings. And so we're going to learn a little bit about, about that. And today, you know, we'll talk about moving from self-fulfillment to a fulfillment partner, which is a question we hear about all the time. How you actually build a passionate community that amplifies your brand um, without that influencer price tag. How to pick the right technology stack to get you started and keep costs low and finding the right sourcing partner. And so, as I mentioned, we have Tom. He's the founder and CEO of Aurora, which is a morning wellness brand that provides plant-based supplements designed to help you get a lot more out of the morning, maybe than just uh, injecting yourself with coffee. He's also the co-founder of Superco, which is a Shopify agency, and he also owns a Shopify app and lastly, invests in direct-to-consumer brands. And so, I'm very interested to hear what his approach is there. And then we also have Matt here from Recharge, which is one of the leading e-commerce subscription technologies. We have a lot of customers that utilize Recharge, and especially as brands are looking to take some of the learnings from these, these technology companies and B2B SaaS businesses with the, with the recurring business model, Recharge really empowers them to do that. And so it's just really exciting to see what a lot of people do on top of Recharge and, and just the innovation that we're seeing in the space. And so... Both of you, welcome. Thanks for joining us. Tom, let's start with you. Where are you calling in from today? Hey, Casey. I'm Tom. Hi, everyone. Uh, I'm calling in from New York City. Great. And, and what about you, Matt? Hey, Casey. Thanks for having me. I'm over in Portland, Oregon, so over on the West Coast. Okay. Awesome. Just yeah. like me. I see we have some people from New York and, and LA and Miami. Uh, we'll see if the international people come in maybe a little late. So, Tom, let's start with you. What, what was the origin story? Like, why, why create Aurora? I've always been like pretty good at the morning, but it's one of those things like everyone everyone wants to wake up and like not feel groggy or like I mean if you've been I mean obviously people do feel hungover, but like a lot of the time people just wake up and feel like hazy and like they've slept badly and there's kind of the kind of the morning fog you just kind of really struggle to to lift. 
so for kind of numbers of for about a about a year or so, I was kind of experimenting with. I mean, I don't know if you guys have ever come across like. Oh, I just dropped the word adaptogens. I normally get like a lot of blank looking faces, but it's it's basically a, a kind of a category of, of herbs and minerals really that help the body adapt to kind of stressful situations. So I was kind of playing around with, with those. I mean, they've been used for years in, in traditional Chinese medicine and uh, traditional like Indian Ayurvedic medicine. And I was just playing around with combinations. I mean, obviously I'm kind of, I'm a big coffee drinker, I'm a big tea drinker, but I was, I kind of wanted something that kind of gave me that morning boost that made me feel fresh, made me feel awake, but didn't give me that kind of caffeine crash you get at 10 a.m. where you're kind of, you, you having had three cups of coffee, you're now like weirdly like tired and sweaty and exhausted, um, having only been awake for like two hours. So the whole like impetus behind it was trying to create products really that help people in the morning through slightly non, I mean, traditional, but non like western means so yeah i lent heavily on I mean, a lot of my products are like heavily influenced by chinese medicine so i i, I worked with um actually a, a traditional chinese medicinist a herbalist here in new york and she basically you know helped me personally with my my stack so I can, i'm sure you guys are used to people talking about like, nootropic stacks it's kind of worked in a pretty similar way but yeah i just kind of worked with her really over, over a number of months kind of on myself like for myself and then i was Previously, in, in a similar world to you guys, actually, we worked for a company called Addressy uh, Locate, which uh, actually Gina used to be a part of as well. Um, so we were actually partners with Recharge and did a little bit of work with Shipbob, actually. But it, I'd been there for, for four and a half years and kind of I feel the pandemic was was upon us as work from home. And I'd always wanted to run my own business, being loosely kind of kicking around a few ideas, had a little dropship business and just thought, like, this is my chance. Let's let's do it let's let's uh, let's let's take that plunge so obviously i'm working from home and i made made things fairly easy to transition out of so yeah basically working with this herbalist to kind of come up with the recipe the formula and then from there it was let's kind of try and make it myself didn't really work let's try and find a co-packer and basically take it from there started started doing it myself and then yeah i've been leaning on leaning on both of your businesses quite heavily since awesome and we'll get that in a little bit but so you, you started the brand recently, you tried to do it yourself. Like you said, you found an herbalist in New York. Are you manufacturing in New York or in the US or overseas? How are you handling that? Well, I was planning on doing, literally doing it myself, like feeling, I mean, giving you know, the full backstory, I was planning on doing like morning breakfast products, incorporating these adaptogens, but then I've, I've subsequently pivoted because it was, it was kind of a lot more work to do. I bootstrapped the business and it's, it's kind of much harder to do. You've got to, you've got to actually do it in a, um, in a certified food process, processing facility. And then, so I, I pivoted to doing caps because it was, it was kind of a, a, a bit on my fairly tight budget was it was a much less significant lift so yeah I've, i found a found a really good co-packer in new jersey so just across the across the river from here so have been working with him pretty closely actually didn't take too long to get the formula ready for for kind of mass manufacturing but it, obviously this is my first foray into it i really was shooting from the hip i mean i've got a, quite a few friends in similar spaces doing kind of loosely similar things so i could lean and lean upon them and obviously I, I read a ton whether it's like blogs that you guys put out or like 2pm and like a lot of those kind of industry specific blogs that just they don't teach you how to make a product but they kind of they kind of help you in in, in launching and, and providing a, a ton of value and just to, to, to a newbie like me I mean obviously I'm, I'm in the e-com space so I wasn't completely green but the whole manufacturing piece was 
was pretty hard to figure out initially. So it was just a lot of calls, a lot of meetings. I mean, obviously virtually at the time, but yeah, just like Google um, and I had just a massive spreadsheet of potential co- co-manufacturers. So yeah, it's, it's like a lot of graphs, a lot of calling people and, a lot, and at that time, like I couldn't actually meet anyone or go to their facilities. So it was, um, it was a little bit of like, put your finger in the air and like, I hope you hope you find the right person, but it's all, it's all worked out pretty well, actually. I'm, I'm happy with my, my co-manufacturer. So I know you were doing a lot of B2B before and, you know, leading, leading a few companies in that space. You've now launched Aurora, which is obviously in the direct-to-consumer space. I've done similar where I've kind of ebbed and flowed with different companies where it's B2C versus B2B. There are similarities, but some of the motions are, are pretty different from average customer value and size to sales cycles. And there's, there's I'd say, the good and the bad of both. Yeah. What were some of the more eye-opening things to you kind of pivoting into like the direct-to-consumer space that you were not expecting? I mean, yeah, I mean, I 100% agree with that. I don't know how to say this without sounding like ungrateful, but when a customer has, when you're the only one doing customer service, if if it's in a B2B world and the, the deal is like 2,000 bucks or whatever, for example, you don't mind like doing a lot of kind of customer service or whatever to get that over the line. But when they've spent 30 bucks on your product, it's like, obviously, I mean, I, I love doing it. I always want to help the customers, but it's a little bit more painful in terms of like, kind of value to time if you kind of put that equation in your head like the amount of time you spend dealing with potentially a single use customer ideally they'd flow into recharge and become become a kind of a subscription customer but you you kind of do need to be fairly aware of just like where you're spending your time like you just can't be in the trenches with individual customers in the same way that you should be on a b2b level um, so it's all about like finding ways in which you can kind of do the one to many with the with the B two C customers, but give them that that feeling that they are being treated like they are a B two B customer, and and that you're, that you're kind of you're relying on them for your, for your next like salary, like your next like I don't know office payment or whatever. So it's yeah, it's it's kind of trying to create that relationship with with a, a B two C customer that feel that they feel special, but you you also don't spend too long doing it because it it becomes quite the economics become quite poor quite quickly if you do. Yeah. Uh, and I've got some follow-up questions on that, but it, it's interesting you mentioned, you know, that the pain is that now you have a lot more customers, which is a great thing, but the average customer value is a bit less. And so I, I'd say glass half full, you have to think of like, okay, how do you scale yourself or, or be more efficient to help them self-serve or answer these quickly? And so yeah. maybe from like a, an operations perspective, and then maybe the answer is it's just you handling it all. But from an ops perspective, and then also from like a technology perspective, how are you handling customer questions and customer support today? Yeah, so I've ended up basically, I've got a couple of people in the Philippines who help me with customer support. This agency, Gina, or you, you mentioned briefly at the beginning, we're actually productizing that and selling that to other Shopify stores. But yeah, that was basically... Then, I mean, and that's I, Superco or that's something... That's, that's Superco, yeah. So, awesome. um, so yeah, that's that's kind of how i kind of scaled it was was basically just finding finding people who who cared who had a obviously a strong grasp of english kind of an empathy and hard work and diligence and, and i mean obviously they're never going to care about the end result as quite as much as you will as as the business owner but it's it's about kind of getting as close to that as possible and yeah we looked in a few different places me and my, my business partner but i mean yeah the, we've got this team in the philippines are, are fantastic and i mean they're all actually ex shopify gurus themselves 
but yeah, they pick up support queries and they've they've allowed me to kind of take a they've removed a lot of that off off my plate. I mean, I was I was dealing with I mean only like a couple of months ago dealing with a ton of like Aurora support queries and questions, and it, it is just very time consuming. In terms of platform, I did use Zendesk initially, but have been using Gorgeous recently. I think, I mean, I feel like they've recently come across a lot of money as well because they suddenly hit me up quite heavily across a number of channels and a, and a few other similar folks in, in similar businesses I've been speaking to, kind of swear by them. Actually, I know a couple of people there from, from other businesses I used to work, work out. So, yeah, they've, they actually did a really good job. Yeah, I don't know if you guys are partners with Gorgeous. But yeah, we partner, we partner, partner with Gorgeous a lot. And we hear them come up all the time. Definitely one of the leading customer support platforms out there. Yes. Yeah. Matt chiming in there. They're based just up in Canada. And I see, actually, I saw a bunch of the chats coming in late once I call out international. So we have some people in Toronto, broadly Canada and Calgary. So uh, it's, it's always good to see some people coming in from Canada as well. And I also, I mean, this is what I love talking to entrepreneurs so much is, you know, you've got Aurora, you're trying to find ways to optimize your time. And you go out, you find these Shopify gurus that, you know, you can start to scale your your support. And then instead of putting your feet up, you're like, okay, well, this is interesting. A lot of people need this. Let me actually now create another company. Um, and because this is like maybe something because there's the human element that people need to help you know, answer a lot of questions for their community. So I want to get back to Aurora pretty quickly after, but with Superco and rolling this out, what would have been some of the interesting learnings there in rolling, you know, this offering up for other brands? And, and maybe how are you feeding that back into how you run your business? Well, I mean, Aurora, like originally came from, uh, sorry, Superco originally came from, I mean, building Aurora. I'd, I just launched, I wanted to do some development work on the store I'd kind of knocked together. And Speaking to agencies, they wanted like X amount a month to retainer, and then the freelancers basically wanted a monthly minimum, or they weren't going to be able to like give you any hours. So, me and my my business partner, who, who's been basically building digital products and, and Shopify sites in the UK for for a number of years, came up with this other way, which was kind of we built a whole SaaS platform in which a store owner can go on and put in a ticket and say, "I want a landing page or this picture formatted or help with support." So, we basically. That's really that kind of where where Superco came from. But yeah, in terms of like how I've been kind of growing the offerings at Superco is basically from what I've been struggling with Aurora. I've basically weirdly created an agency to solve all my own problems, um, <laughs> which I mean, I probably could have just found someone to do a lot of them. But yeah, I don't know. It just kind of weirdly naturally kind of came together. Just ended up working with one of my best friends from home. I guess in many respects, like working at Aurora was... It's really fun and really challenging, but it's a lot. A lot of the time, I've I've been by myself with freelancers, so subconsciously, I think my mind was like, "We I need a business partner," but not on Aurora. And I've ended up just kind of having a side business I'm doing with a friend that basically supports Aurora, but also then services tons of other businesses. That's great, and obviously the perfect analogy in a, a little bit smaller scale. But you know, that's that's what one of the things that Amazon does. So <laughs> AWS came out from them having to, you know, scratch their own itch and they've monetized that rather well to say the least. And now they're doing the same thing with ads where they actually generate more revenue off of ads um, than they spend on marketing themselves, which is just, just mind blowing. So, so something, you know, you mentioned earlier is making the customers feel special, which is always, you know, important. And I want to get into some of like the cost and margin questions, but first, 
it sounds like you guys do some custom packaging and, and you did that on day one. Yeah. So why was that so important to you? And why'd you, especially as a bootstrapper or, you know, funding it yourself, as you mentioned, what, why'd you say I, I've got to do that, even if it's going to cost me more money up front or, or hit the bottom line? I mean, I think ultimately it's, it's that kind of, you go into your, I mean, it, it depends where you live, but for me in my apartment building, you go into the packet packaging room and everything is like Amazon or just generic kind of brown recycled cardboards. And then now and again, you'll see like a Hubble contacts or like, I mean, obviously like rent the runway is kind of a bit more, a bit, obviously it's like a suit bag or, or whatever, but you, you see these kind of these standout brands that through necessity or through just their kind of that brand marketing have have made the decision that yeah we're going to take a little bit of a hit on on our margins but we're going to create something that's more of a joy to open more of a someone opens the the parcel room and there's like a blue and yellow aurora box is far more exciting than I mean, for me, I go into this room and I struggle to find my post because everything comes in like brown copper boxes and I spend about 10 minutes trying to find everything. But if it came in like the brand colors, like I'd walk in there and I'd see it and I'd, I wouldn't have to wait. I wouldn't have to like faff around look, looking through piles of stuff. So it's all about trying to create that kind of spark of excitement there. Like when that, maybe it's not in a locker room, maybe it's just dropped off on, on a front porch in, in rural Georgia or wherever it is, but it it's kind of hard to quantify. Like it's impossible to quantify, but and inherently to me, it feels like that's the kind of brand I want to be making instead of just like brown, like cardboard box. It is definitely a hit on the margins. So financially, I'm not sure it's necessarily the, the best route, but. But, but from like I, a differentiation standpoint, I love it because yeah. you know, your, your space, just like many others, there's so much competition. And so you do need to stand out. And a lot of people do live in apartment or condo buildings where there's, you know, you go in into the delivery room and there's just like you said it's a sea of brown boxes and so how do you stand out and then really make people happy that they bought it and come back again because you're and we'll get to the coming back again part in a second you know especially because i know that's how you utilize recharge but again it's 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 really differentiating and and you're trying to build that brand and that community which is actually the next thing i want to jump into after we talk about margin for a little bit because i know that's something people are often thinking about and I like how you mentioned Hubble. We had Hubble on uh, last season. It was just great to hear their story as well. So in regards to that, like, who do you use, if you don't mind sharing, for the packaging? And how do you evaluate those options? And, and then how do you kind of bake that into you know, the total cost of goods sold? Sure. So we use um, Packlane. I looked at, I can't remember, I looked at a couple. I forget the other one, but Packlane did a pretty good job on all the or like I, I i i basically i when i when i was launching i looked at three two of them escaped me one's the kind of the big dtc one that uh you'll be able to, probably be able to help me maybe um, lumi lumi yeah but they had like quite large i mean they had massive minimum orders to start and then the other one arca was, okay, great. was the third one yeah so pack lane it was basically pack lane and arca and i can't i can't for the life of me quite remember why i, I ended up choosing pack lane i think I've, if i think it was just better communication better better samples they sent through. I think they just kind of got me and what I was trying to do a little bit better. Don't mean uh, any kind of disrespect to Dark. I'm sure they did a fantastic job, but it, it, at the time it just didn't feel didn't feel quite right. So yeah, I went with went with Pack Lane and yeah, I just I, I just add the add the cost of the book uh kind of add the cost of the box like straight into my cogs. So it it is yeah, it is quite a noticeable a noticeable like chunk out of my margin. That being said, like I've definitely got new clients from it like it's it's kind of hard to quantify i do have a a unique there is a there is a code on the inside that people can use 
like a, it's kind of a single use code that people can use for like sharing around and there's definitely been purchased on it i don't think it's a huge amount it definitely hasn't paid paid for the boxes but it's yeah i, don't, I think i find it's just kind of a necessary as you said like the supplement space is, is incredibly congested incredibly overcrowded so i yeah i made the kind of very conscious effort to try and make the boxes stand out to use recyclable packaging all of which again just like eats into that margin that being said, like the marginal supplements is is not terrible, but it is an incredibly competitive space. So anything you can do to like keep those margins down and give you a bit more give you a bit more leeway on, uh, on on your CAC is is ideal. But it's it's expensive, but in my mind, it's the necessary cost to to helping to build the brand. Nice. Well, like you mentioned, the supplement space, your your margins are just larger compared to maybe some of the other verticals. You also have the subscription component, and so and I and I know you know your your hero product goes for about thirty eight dollars. I'm not sure how many units people often order if it's one or one and a half or two, and so maybe that helps cover some of it as well. And then you have the subscription side, and so we can dive some deeper into the subscription side. But first, I guess did that factor in at all, or maybe in how you approach things? Because, or I guess, how do you think about subscriptions from like a macro level perspective? Because you can maybe break even on CAC, or I don't know what your target is on day one, knowing that X percent of your shoppers return over time. And after that, it's, it's more or less, you know, just pure profit. So how do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, very much so. I mean, obviously, with the kind of cost of, cost of Facebook ads, uh, Instagram ads these days, like, it becomes pretty and bootstrapping a bootstrapping a business like this, it becomes pretty unfeasible if you're not nearly breaking even on your first purchase. That being said, like knowing that you do have a significant chunk of your clients going through your recharge or going through your recharge checkout and purchasing three, four, five, six, seven times is like it is it is a serious weight off your mind, knowing that you do typically see this kind of like this kind of average play out over time. That being said, yeah, like I it's not like I've taken $10 million in funding, like I can't front load this and and buy all these customers in the hope that the kind of the LTV like works its way out. But like, as we're kind of slowly growing, slowly kind of putting a bit of gas on gas on the, on the fire, like having, having that recharge or like, I mean, subscription component in general is just kind of a really helpful piece of pie that, that, you know, is kind of over the long term will just make some of those unit economics a bit easier to swallow. What percentage of your your customers uh, utilize subscription? It's about between thirty and forty. That's rather nice. So, so yeah. Matt, I want to jump to you real quick. I've got quite a few questions. Yeah, sure. Well, well, first, welcome again. When maybe across like your customer your customer set, like from a subscription percentage, what are you guys often seeing in terms of how many like customers our merchants have? No, no. So, um, like Tom like mentioned, about thirty to forty percent of his customers utilize subscription. Uh, yeah. The base. So, like, what are you seeing? Just as I think of a lot of brands, they're trying to think of through like, and I'm sure it depends on vertical, but think through different benchmarks of like, all right, how much better should I could I be doing based off of possibly my offering or something else? Yeah, no, uh, thirty uh, to forty percent is is a good range. You know, uh, for yeah, I guess you could say you know getting going in your business and rapidly growing in, in that stage. We have like a scalable solution and we have like different sizes of merchants. And there's always that stage where, you know, you're starting with 10 and then you get to 20% and 30. And then there's a stage where it tips over to 50% and you're like, I am a solid subscription company now, you know? So with the accounts that I worked 
with this past year. Uh, just for context, I was on the account management team for the past year, working with merchants through the pandemic and all that all that fun stuff. We had a lot of those conversations where their subscriber base was growing, you know, due to their acquisition and just capturing. It's like what you guys are mentioning, um, acquiring those customers, getting them to uh, their subscription model, and then seeing that retention engine going. And then from there, it just keeps, the percentage keeps going up. So different verticals see different things and also different merchants see uh, different <laughs> different metrics. But yeah, I'd say right before that 50% range is typically what, what I've seen. So. Nice. And what, what about, so something that Tom mentioned also was, was LTV mm-hmm. or, and for those of you, that means lifetime value essentially from, from one customer, how much revenue are you generating over the entire time that they're a customer? which is always a tough thing to men- to track because when does the lifetime end? But Matt, from what you guys are hearing or, or seeing from your customers there, what kind of impact are you typically seeing from customers who will utilize a solution like Recharge with subscription in, in expanding that LTV? Yeah, it's uh, it can go pretty deep, right? So in the, on the retention side, I feel like that's where, on a macro level, that's where we're seeing everybody focusing now. Um, you guys kind of mentioned earlier with again, with the cost of acquisition going up over the past couple of years and subscription being a, a good resource for businesses to retain or have recurring payments for their business. So, you know, we have out of the box, it's like a customer will go and subscribe and save, uh, get introduced to a subscription strategy. And with, you know, some well put messaging and positioning for, from the brand, you could position your subscription strategy to the customer as a community or as a club. And so, the lifetime value at that stage, and this is what I've been seeing a lot lately, is essentially getting those customers to be like, you're tapping into brand loyalty at that point. So it's one of those things where you look at the data, you see how many reoccurring payments a customer is going through, seeing, you know, like, okay, they bought the first initial purchase, they hung around for two, two reoccurring orders, essentially, whatever your cadence may be, if it's usually it's typically a month. And then you see, okay, wait a second, they decided to cancel for some reason. And in Recharge, we have uh, our cancellation and retention strategies, which essentially allows the customer to get feedback. So what I like to do with a lot of my accounts is look at that data and see why did those customers cancel. And so once we start dissecting that data, we can then start moving that goalpost on lifetime value, addressing the pain point of the customer. Maybe they got you know, product fatigue. Like, okay, maybe it's time to offer a different product or you know, change, change something up about that experience. And to back it up, from my perspective, I always look at pretty much the whole the whole thing, the whole funnel through like the customer journey essentially and how they're experiencing it. So yeah, lifetime value is like one of those things that different for everybody. Um, everybody has different stages that they're addressing, and yeah, it, it could be off, on for like a lifetime. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, thank you for that. And Tom, question for you, still around the subscription side from Dana. Do you get a lot of people canceling because they have too many? And how do you handle people canceling or maybe wanting to extend the time frame in between their subscriptions? That's actually a very good question because it ties into kind of what we were talking about before and kind of dealing with customer support. And um, this is actually, actually, funny enough, one of the customer support tickets that I would probably see the most in that. I mean, it's a monthly subscription. There's basically, there's a, there's a capsule per day, which I, I mean, yeah, there's 28 per day. Um, so there's always, there's always going to be a couple more. And if people miss a week, if they go on holiday, maybe they don't want it. So yeah, that was a question I used to get. Well, I mean, I, I still do get quite a lot, but I have subsequently farmed out to my, my customer support team but like how do i how do i deal with that i mean recharge does provide a 
pretty easy way for them to like skip a delivery or you can like you can just push it down the line so in terms of like you would get a lot of people saying hey i've got too many can i cancel it's quite an easy it's not too hard to just kind of guide them towards being like hey no i totally understand it how about you just skip a delivery and then you can get through your, your current batch and then you kind of still keep them on the subscription wheel uh you don't lose them as a customer so it's obviously much harder to get them to come back again once you lose them but yeah recharge does make it pretty easy to basically just push the next subscription like down the line a little bit and you can keep them yeah i've seen that with some stuff that i've purchased as well it's, it's nice sometimes you can just hit the snooze button and i know as a brand owner and I've done this actually from a B2B SaaS standpoint as well, is you need to offer that snooze option because you'd much rather have them come back later and still be thinking about it versus to completely lose them. So you've mentioned Shopify, which is your platform. You've mentioned Gorgeous, which is your customer support tool. Packlane, which is your custom packaging. Recharge for subscription. ShipBob for fulfillment. Honestly, that tech stack is rather common that we come across a lot. So a question, we've got over it in the polls. If, if the, those attendees want to jump over and cast your vote, I have a question, Tom. So yeah. which part of e-commerce costs you the most? Is it the maintenance and the upgrades? Is it fulfillment? Is it integrations or all these third-party apps? Is it the platform? Like, you know, what's costing you the most? Probably you guys. <laughs> um, but I get that. Like, I mean, you, you guys are doing storage. Like, it's not like you're just a little SaaS product that doesn't like once you've made it you can replicate like a million times at no incremental cost like every extra customer you have is more warehouse space every time they ship a product out costs like shipping fees um so yeah it is it is you guys but it there's plenty of reasons why that isn't shouldn't be too surprising awesome let's dive into that then because (laughs) you you know it sounds like you do a good job of figuring out like what are the time bottlenecks that you're running into to scale your business and then how can you find trusted partners to hand it off to and so early in your journey, you came to us at ShipBob to hand that over because it is a very time-intensive business and people want to get fast and affordable shipping for their customers and that global reach. And so you know, talk me through that process that you went through and why you decided to take the plunge from doing it yourself. Yeah, so I mean, it was, it's kind of it's like a time value kind of equation in your mind. Like, is it worth my time spending like five hours a day doing fulfillment or like trying to manage some guy and do fulfillment for my bedroom or for my flat, or maybe I'd hire a space down the road and do that. And then I have to worry about like, am I getting the best deal with my shipping? Like there's a lot of mental energy that needs to be expunged to kind of work out how to to do all that at a at the kind of rates that you guys can get. And then in addition, like all of the all of the time and effort that goes into individually packing stuff, make, make getting these boxes, storing these boxes, making these boxes, printing all the labels, making sure the that the I get them to the post office or however I'm, I'm getting them out. It's just a massive drain on on my time. So I quite quickly decided that like that money would be much better spent um, utilizing a third party fulfillment business such as ShipBob. I looked at a few, I looked at a number. And ended up going with you. And I can ask me why now. I can feel it. No, we, we can get <laughs> that in a second, but no, I appreciate that. And because because I do want to talk, dive deeper into you know what what you are now doing with that free time. Again, not that you necessarily got a lot back. Maybe you're just sleeping slightly better. It is funny when I'm talking to prospective customers of ours, and then you'll see sometimes in the background, it's just stacks of boxes and packaging and tape and random products. Yeah. And so it's nice to get that out of 
out of your house or your apartment or, or your, your office. It might have been a different scenario if I lived in like a suburb or somewhere rural and I had a, a garage or like easy access to cheap space. But living in, in Brooklyn, it was kind of not really going to be particularly feasible from the get go. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, so, so we got a qu- quite a few questions now coming in from the audience. And, and again, on the time side, I want to get into how you use, utilize some of that to, to build a community, because I think that's where a lot of our customers also see a lot of value. It's like, well, let's hand off something like fulfillment, like unless you're an ops or supply chain expert, that's not going to be your differentiator from like your internal skill set. That's why you, you hand it off to the experts and you'll do something like focus on community building. But before we get to that, um, again, I want to answer these questions. So first one from, from Saima. Do you send the customer their package in a custom box every month or is it just that first month when they're a new subscriber? That's a very good question. Currently, yes, but that is definitely something I'm, I'm working towards doing. So I, I want to get subscriptions in the, in the future coming in. I mean, not even in a poly mailer. You can get like a um, the like recyclable paper mailer. So the initial subscription comes, uh, I mean, any single purchase comes in a, a glass jar with a, uh, kind of a metal lid so it's all completely recyclable but i want to do that i haven't kind of gotten around to doing it, it requires a bit more kind of rejigging my ops um side but yeah that's where i'd like to get to in the next kind of couple of months i think the next kind of three to six months ideally we'll be doing subscriptions in a in an entirely like recyclable really or, or compostable even paper mailer yeah so nice. a, a few brands do that struggling to think but some other supplement brands do that do that so yeah that's kind of where i'd like to get to but not yeah. there yet that's great yeah we've got to mention on our i think it was our last operator series we had pachama on and a handful of merchants from pachama and so we announced that our fulfillment network is 100 percent carbon neutral um, as you talked about the recyclables we have our integration with pachama and our app store so you know all of our merchants you know can rather quickly so every single order that they ship is carbon neutral. I know that's something that's very. I don't. I don't know Pajama. Okay. Yeah, well, yeah. We'll, we'll we'll drop in the link, and you know, Gina or I will follow up afterwards. Definitely worth checking out. What they're doing is it's not just something a lot of customers and and the and the merchants want, but it's actually doing something truly good for the world as well. So it's it's nice when when those cross. So here's a question from Toby. I like how he he positioned as well. I'll probably read it more or less verbatim. Do you think that if you were to price the product higher, say $50 a month versus 30, so that'd be about a 60% jump in what you charge today, that you'd lose more customers? Because you know if there's a lot of brand strength, they shouldn't necessarily move away, hopefully. So I guess what's your take on that when you're, when you're juggling like the pricing? Yeah, I mean, that's something I've played around with. I mean, I actually initially launched with higher prices and then actually brought it down a little bit and and definitely saw more conversions at a lower price point. So it's, I mean, I think the pricing question, I mean, it applies to kind of anything you're trying to sell. But I think the short answer is is I would probably lose, I mean, I'm almost certain I'd, I'd, I'd lose a lot of my current customers and would find it harder to acquire new ones. I think with... If I was to kind of have a load of funding and I could kind of do some some more serious brand marketing, I could probably get to a point where I could justify that. But even I, yeah, I don't. Know, I feel like that that price point it's still pretty high. I think I'd rather I'd rather like a higher volume of customers at a lower price point than a lower volume of customers at a higher price point. I think in general, just mm-hmm. because of like I'm going to be 
going forward planning to sell other products and things and i'd, I'd rather just have a have a, a broader customer base that i could sell to nice I, I like that i mean a lot of these answers especially with pricing the real answer is it depends when people ask for these broad stroke answers and but but i like how you are thinking about it strategically there where you've got your hero product you want to expand the catalog and w- what the brand actually means or i guess what the brand um, provides and so having having a larger customer base is important for you as you're going to want to be able to introduce additional products. Here's another question from Saima and, and Matt, maybe you could be best to answer this. It's a bit more tactical. So if you're just offering, let's say custom packaging or certain type of packaging in that first month, or maybe you offer like additional inserts or something, whatever it may be, how do you keep track of a new subscriber versus a recurring subscriber? I do my own modeling. I pull out the data from from recharge and shopify and model that out and are we, are we talking kind of cohorts here like diving into how long these uh, individual subscriptions last or well well maybe matt if you want to jump in like sure. from from tagging these yeah within the system to know like right. again how, how to treat these customers in regards to like their fulfillment experience and everything absolutely i mean there's a number of different places you can look in uh, recharge and shopify in recharge you know if you look at the data through either our, our enhanced analytics or through our exports, there is it'll show you the what number recurring order it is for the customer. Also in Shopify, if you look at the orders that are coming through, Recharge will tag that order with either first subscription, I believe is a tag, and then everything after that will be a recurring uh, subscription. It'll, there's a different identifiers that you can use. And so what we see in other merchants do is those tags and that information will be passed on to the fulfillment center and then the fulfillment center will say like oh okay this is a specific number in the order let's change it up this way or that way uh, to kind of change the experience for them as the customer is receiving their products on the on the tail end so it keeps things exciting that way uh, in terms of the subscription perfect and, and i know that's how we do a lot of the things over at, at chipbob is creating different rules based off of different tags yes. depending on the, the integration that we're pulling in the data from for example like Shopify and the example you mentioned so that we can we can manage them a little bit differently if that's what the brands are looking for. So, you know, you always got to keep thinking through that as like you're understanding your business and e-commerce just, just evolves in general. And so I like it. We got more questions on subscriptions and, and recurring revenue, which is something that I am I'm very fond of uh, from Samuel. Tom, do you have any tips for converting the first-time non-subscribers into recurring subscribers? Yeah, uh, email marketing. See, <laughs> so, yeah, it's. I mean, I, I lean very heavily on Clavio, um, and actually does does a really really good job. So I work with a, a, a fantastic freelance email marketer, and yeah, I mean, basically, we kind of you, you build a kind of subset of of first-time purchases, and then basically hit them with hit them with discounts or like encourage them to like to sign up for subscription in the future so yeah it's, it's pretty it's pretty kind of like econ marketing 101 pretty pretty straightforward but yeah basically just kind of using the using the availability of, of email marketing to to drive these people like you kind of drive them to write a review those that write a review obviously kind of enjoy the product and then you can kind of with them just kind of nurture them really into into kind of becoming subscribing customers as opposed to just one-offs so yeah i mean i guess that kind of answers the question but email marketing really is the one for me is the kind of lever for me that i use quite heavily awesome. and then matt you've got maybe a potential customer from simon here she's asking for your contact information but the question is i switched my domain from squarespace to shopify and i'm using recharge but having trouble pulling my current subscriber list over 
that's probably a question not for here or maybe <laughs> because you might need to get into the specifics of what's happening there. Right. Uh, maybe Matt, you feel this a lot. So you tell me. I mean, I could provide uh, some more like helpful information on that front. So yeah, we, we do have a uh, migrations team specifically here at Recharge. So when it comes to migrating um, subscribers, you just want to reach out to support that'll get funneled to the right team. And they'll take care of you. Perfect. I like it. And from an integration standpoint today, what platforms do you guys integrate with? We integrate with, you know, of course, Shopify, integrate with BigComps. And so I think generally the idea, uh, you know, the, the path we are seeing uh, in terms of what the market is wanting out there in e-commerce is a, a bit more flexibility, essentially. So Recharge has been focusing more on its API and its functionality to enable merchants on any platform to do subscriptions, essentially. So yeah, but uh, the, the main one, uh, Shopify. Okay, great. Thank you. Yeah. Community building. Tom, how have you approached community building and you're selling a product to help people wake up better, start the day better? What's a community look like? How have you approached that? Talk me through community a little bit. I always find it fascinating just the different angles that people go about it. So being in the midst of a, a pandemic, it's been hard to kind of do a physical kind of community. I, I would, once everything kind of opens up properly, I do have kind of grand ambitions. I'm, I'm obviously moving back to the UK, so it might be a little bit harder, but I've been pretty keen to do actual kind of physical morning meetups, both kind of here in New York City and kind of around the country. But in lieu of that and kind of in, in the digital world that we live in, basically been focusing mainly in and around like Instagram. Like I've got a, a private Facebook group that I basically kind of, if you're a purchaser, you can kind of, you get access to. And, and within that, we just kind of discuss both the products we discuss like how people can kind of get more out of their morning not just not just from like things you can take not just from like raw supplements but also from like blog posts that we're writing guest blog, blog posts that we're planning maybe it's like a podcast that I've, I've been on or that kind of other people or, or other things that people want to discuss maybe it's like polls but it's basically trying to kind of get people in like a room like a, a digital room or, or a physical room just talking about like the issues that your products are solving like, so, what, what is it beyond just like, hey, I want to wake up and have a better day? Like, or maybe that's just it. Like, what what is the underlying or you know theme or maybe like the subconscious element of it that is having everybody that's wanting to like discuss this or you know come together as a community around this? A lot of it's like productivity. Actually, that's kind of a, I've discovered is seems to be like the core theme that runs through a lot of of what the discussions are what like people are talking about like it's becoming kind of more like key it's probably what will will feed into some of the other products i'm going to release later on down the line but yeah like people kind of wanting to wake up and, and not be groggy for their first like couple of hours at work they kind of want and, and just kind of get into it and be productive so that seems to be kind of I guess the thread that binds a lot of a lot of what we do together is, is just like how to be more productive in the morning, like how to be more kind of focused, whether that's like helping your kids get ready for school or whether that's like getting out of bed, making like a quick breakfast and then jumping into your emails. So, yeah, that's kind of I think really if you boil everything down is kind of the essence of, of what we're trying to solve. It's, it's like a it's like a kind of a improve your productivity in the morning. Uh, I just want to say. I'm a subscriber. I'm a fan of the community. <laughs> I'm definitely in that uh, <laughs> the demographic of like wanting to have super focus. And what I'm noticing is like uh, other friends and colleagues that like are also into the same thing. You know, everyone's been working from home through the pandemic essentially, and they're just sitting in a room 
with really not much distractions, you know, unless you know, kids and stuff. But yeah, was, I've stumbled across like YouTube videos that are strictly for focusing. And then you look down in the comments and it's a whole community of people thinking the same, like looking for the same thing. It was just like deeper focus, deeper concentration, especially waking up and going to work essentially on your computer at home. So it's definitely a community out there. That's awesome. I love that when you, you just got, you just scratched a little bit below the surface and like, what is it people are looking for? And all you have to do is look at like how many productivity apps are out there? What are like this? What's the search volume on Google or YouTube for productivity hacks? You know, Tim Ferriss has made a career rightfully so on essentially being more efficient with your time or the food that you, you know, put into your body. And so that's interesting. I, I know when I was up and running a company called paleo hacks, you know, one of the things that we noticed was, especially with like the recipes, yeah, people wanted to like cook good tasting food in a more healthy fashion. But some of it was also just like status signaling, where like they want to be able to say that they're cooking like the the latest cool paleo meals. Because like, what is that? What is it that's bringing people back every single time and like creating this rabid fan base? And, you know, you just got to dig a few levels deeper. I want to jump into the VC space with you real quick. And then sure. we'll wrap it up with a question that I ask everybody. You've invested in a few companies yourself. How do you approach it? You know, what are the fundamentals? What do you over-index on? Like any any tips or interesting stories you want to share there? Yeah, I mean, it's I mean, it's all very early stage. Um, it's all like typically kind of pre-seed, like safe levels. So I over-index on like it sounds really cringe, but like vibe, just like whether I think, <laughs> but no, like whether like I really really like gel with a person and, and like like whether and I mean the, like the product obviously has to be like exceptional but often at this stage like they don't even really have a product so i kind of have to like buy into the fact that this founder whether it's like whether they're creating a physical like dc product or whether they're like creating like I, i'm i'm kind of more interested at the moment really in in kind of like SaaS or like software that helps e-commerce so i guess it would i mean it would be like recharge and ship of like way a long time ago but businesses that kind of help e-commerce so yeah, I mean, I, I I specifically focus on on whether whether obviously the product sounds like it can tick the box, but like the founder's story, the founder's background, like whether I think they've kind of got the grit to to push through and make something really cool. But yeah, typically it do, typically it's 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 not like I'm doing kind of Series A or like anything like that. So there's, there's there's often not a huge amount to look at other than a pitch deck, maybe a sample or two. But yeah, I I don't do a lot, but I I, I do speak to a lot of founders. Just I mean, a part of it is kind of interest part of it is like I, I kind of just love the space and i love getting involved with, with cool people um doing cool things so yeah it's sorry it's a bit of a wishy-washy answer but no it's fine yeah. <laughs> but yeah uh, my thesis is d2c and like and kind of the software that supports that but yeah other than that it's it's basically vibe that's great so last question we always close it out on matt we'll start with you and then tom you can you can bring us home so no pressure um <laughs> matt, what it is. What's, your, what's your number one piece of advice for entrepreneurs or direct consumer operators today yeah actually i keep this like post note in front of me <laughs> it says uh, take on projects it's okay if they fail <laughs> learn from it and keep growing so that would be my like word of advice, really, uh, you know, before I actually got into e-commerce, I was doing like freelance photography, taking product shots for e-commerce brands, doing that stuff. I was doing it on my own. So I got to get that experience of like being broke and trying to like figure out how to get business <laughs> going and just all those hardships and just learning on the go. And I feel like 
just by doing it and really taking in what's happening, it'll help you in the next stage for whatever's next. And yeah, just don't really don't dwell too much on on the failures. I guess I could, you know, it's like another way of putting it. Just just keep on going, really. I like it. I'm sure that's helped a ton yeah. in your in your role at, at Recharge and being able to, to sell and relate to entrepreneurs. So I, I love that. Tom, for you, what's your number one piece of advice? Um, so then you're kind of carrying on your running or like bringing it home metaphor. Um, like it's a marathon, not a sprint. So I kind of have to remind myself every day, like you constantly want things to move faster and you kind of want to get to like the level after the next level tomorrow. But nothing ever happens as quickly as it, as you kind of hope or like anticipate it so just kind of keep on keep on slugging keep on like clocking in those miles and just keep on pushing forwards because it's like it's not fast it is a bit gritty and messy but you end up like if you if you keep on if you put the hours in you end up where you want to get nice. so yeah just keep pushing on that's great it's it's like a, a lot of the mainstream media stories you know these, these overnight successes and then it's like that took yeah. 15 years 100 so, yeah. well it's like, it's like the, the shopify literature that kind of i, I mean i'm not gonna lie when i first started Aurora, i was like i'm gonna be a millionaire by tuesday and then like it didn't, <laughs> it did not work out but it's but it kind of it, you just see it growing and you just gotta you gotta stick with it you're gonna be persistent and kind of good luck to you if you're starting a business out there. But yeah, it's it's a it's a challenge, but it's incredibly rewarding. I love it. Persistence. Persistence is key, no question. So Tom, Matt, uh, thank you very much for for joining us today. Thank you to Gina in the background for making this all possible. And of course, thanks to everybody who joined us. As always, I know there's a lot you could be doing with your time. And so, you know, we're always honored when you join us here. We're here every Wednesday, so please join us again next week. Feel free to hit us up. If you have suggestions on other brands that you'd like to see us feature, and we'll include the recordings for this and also some contact information for Matt as well. If any of you guys have questions, yeah, sure. put, put mine on there as well. If people want to chat more about Aurora or any of my businesses, I'm always more than happy. Perfect. I like it. O- always be closing, Tom. There we yeah. go. So <laughs> we'll, we'll end on that note. Thanks, everybody. See ya. See ya.